0: Today, on episode number 191 of the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast, Rick Montalongo describes how he creates immersive learning experiences in the online classroom. Produced by Innovate Learning, Maximizing Human Potential. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. I'm Bonnie Stahoviak and this is a space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to improve our personal productivity so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. Rick Montelongo is today's guest, and he is an assistant professor of higher education administration at Sam Houston State University. Rick received his PhD in higher education from Indiana University and an MS in student affairs administration and a BS in psychology, both from Texas A&M University. His primary research interests include educational outcomes associated with college student involvement, factors influencing involvement in extracurricular activities, and impact of Latina, Latino, Latinx college student organizations on members. Additional research areas include diversity issues in higher education administration, college campus environments, and online in higher education. Rick, welcome to Teaching in Higher Ed. Hello.
1: I'm glad to be here.
0: I am excited to be talking to you today and we're going to start out with something that I know is very exhilarating for you. Tell us about your love of roller coasters.
1: (laughs) I knew you were going to start with that. It's, It's funny that you're asking about my love of roller coasters because even up to high school, I was definitely afraid of them. But somewhere between high school and I guess my undergraduate years I started loving the roller coasters and I, I think the thing that fascinates me about them is I've always had like a science background. At one point of my undergraduate career I was a meteorology major and so I have a fascination with science and and especially physics and you know, the way things move and the weather and in this case roller coasters. So I, I look at roller coasters more for like, how do they do that and, and how fast they go. And ever since I had that fascination, it kind of broke that barrier of being scared of them to the point where now it's like the bigger, the higher, the bigger, the steeper they are, the more likely I would ride them. <laughs> and for me, it's, it's the adrenaline rush and just being you know, in all of the engineering and everything that's behind them. And so I'm probably going on too much but you can tell how you can tell how excited I get just talking about roller coasters.
0: Well, one of the things that was fascinating to me is just how that actually has informed some of your teaching. Stacy yeah. Jacob, a former guest of the podcast, introduced me to you and your work and as soon as I read her description I thought Okay, we got to get this guy, (laughs) we got to get this guy. Tell us now, how does your love of roller coasters connect with your love of the GoPro type cameras? I know GoPro is a brand name, but these smaller... I forget, what do you call them? What's the uh, generic way?
1: Point of view action camera.
0: Yeah. So tell us then, how does the point of view action camera come into your love of roller coasters? And we'll we'll finish this train of thought with then bringing in your, your love of teaching.
1: Yeah. So, you know, what I usually do when I'm taking a break from grading or, you know, developing lectures is I take roller coaster breaks. And I'll go on the Internet and watch, you know, point of view rides on my favorite coasters and i started to notice that some of these videos have uh, point of view action cameras such as gopro cameras that the rider you know videotapes the entire length of the ride from the point that they go through the queue all the way to the you know the end of the ride and i started to notice that when i'm doing my roller coaster video watching that an idea hit me about you know i get excited watching these videos can i do the same thing in teaching in my online courses and and that's where the idea developed by watching roller coaster videos
0: one of the things that's so powerful about these point of view cameras is that it really does shift our perspective my mm-hmm. parents train their dogs to be search and rescue dogs and they have attached these kinds of cameras to the dogs and then it just helps in the training process to be able to really get in the mind's eye of the dog and what it might have been thinking and why, because of course they're following a scent and why they may have gotten off the scent for one reason or another. I mean, it really just does help you put yourself in another person's shoes to a much better degree than if you were just to film from a normal angle. And I'd love to hear a little bit now about your visit to a nearby historical black college and university, and how you made use of this technology for that visit.
1: Yes. Um, and And again, the idea came just, you know, let me try this out. And let me see if it can work. And so, at that time where I was experimenting with using this point of view camera, I was teaching a leadership in higher education class. And so one of the components that I developed for the class was, you know, I wanted to blend in leadership at minority serving institutions, especially at HBCUs. And so they, again, using the idea, I wanted to, I went in wanting to just video, you know, the campus and, and whatnot, but... When the idea of using a point of view action camera came to my head, I started thinking, well, let me try to totally immerse the student in my visit to the HBCU. And so what I did was I actually used the, the action camera for a recorded interview with the president of that HBCU. I used the small camera to drive around the neighborhood to have the students actually see what the surrounding neighborhood looked like because the neighborhood has this really interesting uh, partnership with the HBCU. What was interesting was there were, the videos were supplemented by some readings and, and some local newspaper articles. And one of the articles that the students read mentioned how the, the surrounding community was very impoverished, you know, with boarded up houses and stuff. Well, that was part of the reading, but my video showed what I would term a working class neighborhood. I mean, you know, there were manicured lawns and things like that. But I had the students say, "Okay, you read this, but what do you see in this video that I provided to you with regards to how the neighborhoods described?" And so there was a little disconnection there because students were saying, "Well, we didn't see that in your video," and I was like, "Uh huh." Uh-huh. But the Go the GoPro camera has this wide angle perspective. And so when you watch the video, it's almost like you're much like riding the roller coaster. You were in my pickup truck driving around the neighborhood. When I was interviewing the HBCU president, you rarely saw me on camera. I had the GoPro facing the president. And when I asked a question that was developed by the students, I had this sheet of paper with their pictures on it. And so if 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 Joe Smith, Susie Smith had a question, I would say, "Okay, well, the next question is from Susie Smith. And I moved the camera to her picture and then I pointed it back to the president. And uh, honestly, that was on an accident because when I was (laughs) using the camera, when I had to read the student's question. And so I had to turn. And when I turned, my my arm was bending a little. And so uh, when I saw the final video, I was like, oh my gosh, the students are actually seeing their faces. And and it's almost like they were asking the question, but that was done by by total accident. And we also took a campus tour of the university. And so what I found out was since the camera is so small, I started noticing that in retrospect, um, there was a lot of interesting uh, teaching pedagogical things that I started to notice. Like, like I just gave that example, I was just moving the camera because I needed to read the question, but the students interpreted that as, oh, I liked how you, you, you made the camera show our picture. It was almost like we were asking the question and you were our voice. Even the president of the HBCU was fascinated by my use of the camera to the point where he took a picture of it on his smartphone and he wanted to go and shop around for for some. (laughs) And so a lot of things just occurred by accident. But I started noticing that there were some interesting teaching strategies and pedagogical things that I started, you know, saying, wow, what more can I do with this?
0: Whenever we start experimenting like that in our teaching, we really can come across these happy accidents and without the experimentation that never would have been able to happen. And yet we also have the not so happy accidents. What are some challenges that you ran into in this process and especially this desire that you had to make the content as authentic as possible to feel like I am with you visiting this HBCU, what were some ways where it didn't work out the way you wanted it to? And you either had to redo something or edit a lot or just or just make it more like you really had envisioned?
1: One of the things that I I noticed right away was, you know, I, I was you have to be familiar with the the action camera and whatever brand you use, because they're all different. And what I found with the action, the point of view action camera that I used was that it was very sensitive with audio. For example, I took a campus tour. Part of the tour was a student leader took me on, on her golf cart. Well, I was recording, little did I know that the camera has such a good mic to it that when we were driving, when she was driving a little fast on the golf cart, it was hard to understand what she was saying because all you heard was the wind. Some of the challenges also is when, when you have the final product, you know, when you have to work with the video files, you wanna make sure that there's good video support that is at your campus or organization because luckily, fortunately for my institution, we have a really good production crew that loves to work with those challenges. Some files came in a little wonky, I guess, and for whatever reason, but they were able to troubleshoot it. But on my end, if I would have done stuff by myself, it probably would have taken a lot of effort and time on my end. And, and so just to be, you know, just make sure that you, you if you experiment with that, you also look at what support your institution or organization has to help you out.
0: That's a really good point. And most people would know this, but just in case we have some people that are more of a beginner on this type of thing, if someone had footage like that, that the audio just wasn't clear enough, but you really liked the way the visual worked of going on this golf cart and actually seeing around the campus, then of course you could add an audio track so you could take out the audio track that was garbled from the mm-hmm. golf cart in the wind, and then you could add in yourself or even some of your students narrating that portion of it. Or worse comes to worse, many times people are willing to come back and help you fix whatever error you've made. I have, uh, I'm I guess I'm embarrassed, but I guess I should be happy this only happened once. But I did have a time when a file just completely was gone I, I had inadvertently deleted it off of our sd card not realizing it was not on our computer and that podcast guest was willing to come back and re-record the interview even though i was so yeah. embarrassed especially it had to be someone from the middle east it couldn't have been someone in the same time zone <laughs> as me or something like that but yeah. but a lot of times people really are willing to help you out just to fine tune it to get it to where you want it to be because they want it to look great too and and represent the institution well. So there's lots of options for us when we do these experiments and they don't go the way we want them to.
1: Yeah. And the thing I found out was the the use of these cameras is, is you know, I would, I would term it as very innovative because, it, you know, when I share my ideas, much like to you, you know, there's a definite interest because we haven't really used them as much in this format. And so what I'm finding out is as I continue to use these action cameras in my courses to be a little proactive and and sort of what could happen. Another challenge I forgot to mention was, you know, <laughs> the cameras is, is only charged up for, for a length of time. And so in my HBCU visit, guess what? The camera ran out of battery juice. And so what I did was I actually started recording on my smartphone. And so, my final product had a combination of GoPro footage and smartphone vo- footage that the production team uh, merged together, and 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 so it didn't it didn't eliminate the experience because I think the students were still in that mind frame of I'm in the in the setting, and again I didn't put myself in, in a lot of these videos. You heard my voice, but a lot of it was just me pretending like I'm you know showing. Uh, through the eyes of everyone
0: talk a bit about how you addressed issues of privacy
1: that's an important topic and I'm glad you're bringing that up one of the things that I wanted to make sure prior to going to the campus was preliminary early communication with the campus I was visiting I let them know that I was bringing you know this go this action camera with me and that I wanted to also take a campus tour. Would it be okay to record using this camera? They were pretty, at least this specific campus were just like, they wanted to showcase their students and their leadership and whatnot. But on my end, I was very mindful of, okay, if I'm going to talk to someone that wasn't part of my itinerary, Before I even recorded, I was going to ask them, you know, is it okay? And even after that fact, I was gonna check with the campus. Fortunately for me, that didn't occur too much. I was assigned one student that was my host throughout the whole day. The people that that person had me interact with were aware of my purpose on campus. The only time that I had to ask, is it okay, was um, there was a student worker Working in a greenhouse on the campus farm and the young lady who was t- giving me the tour interacted with them because they were friends and I asked them, I'm recording, you know, and then after I was like, do you mind? It's like, I oh, know, go ahead. I, it's fine. But yeah, if there were any other faces, either blurring them out or, or making sure that they're aware that they're being recorded for another organization or institution, I would say if you're going to go this route for for instruction, to be very mindful of the privacy. Not everyone likes to be recorded. I know we live in a day and age of smartphones and stuff. But, you know, just be respectful of not only students, but also staff and, and faculty. You know, if they're okay, then I would double check just to make sure that they're okay with other folks seeing their faces and then just reassuring them that, um, like I uploaded my videos to YouTube on my channel, but they're unlisted. And so only the students that had the links can, can view them. And so just it was just an additional layer of privacy.
0: I think it's worth reviewing those. I know I've mentioned the three ways you can post videos on YouTube previously, but it's always worth revisiting. So I can put a, a video on YouTube and it becomes a part of my channel and so anyone who would come visit my channel would see these videos. Mm-hmm. Or as you mentioned, the, the one that I almost you know, 90% of the time go for is unlisted. It's mm-hmm. a part of a class. I don't necessarily want it as a part of my channel. It doesn't have to do with the broader reasons I might be posting things on YouTube, but it's mm-hmm. specific to a class. And so it's unlisted such that if you came to my channel, you don't see it. If you search on YouTube, you will not find it, but it doesn't have any kind of a password associated with it such that when I embed it on a learning management system or somewhere that it's not going to be inconvenient for someone to try to watch it. The last one, the last option I don't use very often, but I find people use actually too often is the private option. And Mm -hmm. that's where you get into issues of them having to have a password and yeah. It it just makes things not anywhere near as easy for people to be able to access the content. So I think it's worth posting that little tidbit of, of information if people want to try this. I, I always find unlisted is a really good option for people.
1: And all my videos that I uh, produce using the action camera and, and anything related to my online classes that use YouTube as a, I guess, a viewing platform is always unlisted.
0: It's also a good practice to ask, whether it's your marketing department in smaller institutions or someone within your school or department, if there is a template to use for a video release form, especially if you're going to do a formal interview, it's Correct. worth having someone sign it. I, I changed how I do the podcast that way. And actually, Rick, you already know this, where mm-hmm. I make sure that people understand the kind of license that I use for the podcast. In, in my case, it's a Creative Commons license that is very open. So other institutions can use clips of the podcast. They don't have to ask me for permission. It's possible. But I, I just like people to understand, you know, this is how your interview will be shared and that people agree that they understand that in advance. I just think it's always a good practice to have that. I would love to hear a little bit about the other examples that you've come across of people using these kinds of cameras in their teaching. There was one that you had from CBS this morning, and it was a Google virtual reality tour of a museum. Would you talk a little bit about that one or any other ones that you want to share as examples, too?
1: You know, these ideas uh, come from me watching, staying on, I guess, staying on top of uh, technology trends, especially technology trends, and how they're being implemented in the classroom and in education. And so one of the vivid examples, I think I shared a piece with you, is in fact, around this time last year, I saw a news article, a news story where there was like a first grade or maybe even kindergarten classroom where students were using, I believe it's called Google Box. It's like a very inexpensive version of the VR glasses that you can now buy for like 20 bucks now. And so it was fascinating to see these young um, students, these young learners all wearing these VR headsets and they were walking around their classroom. But the fascinating thing was the, the story showed what they were watching and they were watching a tour of an art museum in, in Europe. And so, you know, on the, on the news story, you saw like how the students could manipulate their viewing perspective, seeing, you know, the different pieces of art and stuff. And then they showed the classroom And they showed all these little kids just like walking around holding their VR headsets. You know, it it was just really interesting to see. And so that that part of me just, you know, again, just fascinated me. But it also reminded me that these are going to be my students in, in, you know, 18, 20 years from now. Hopefully I'll still be teaching and on this earth then. But if we don't keep up with that, then we're going to be, you know, really trying to struggle how to teach these new learners. And another example that I I have experimented with is what's called uh, 360 view videos. And there are cameras that will allow you to do a, a 360 viewing perspective where students can actually manipulate the video to where they can move like a cursor on the video and they can just... It's almost like Google 360 view that some of you may be familiar with. You can actually make a video where when you're talking, the students can actually manipulate while they're viewing your video. Again, I was fascinated by seeing that again on the news and how it was being developed. And so when I came back to my campus after last year's holiday break, I talked to my production person, my contact, and I said, "I saw this thing about 360 video uh, cameras have you heard anything? And right away, like within five minutes, he emailed me back. He was like, OMG, we just got a camera. (laughs) You're playing with it. Long story short, you know, I'm just very open to playing and experimenting with this technology because I'm an online instructor for graduate classes. And I want to stay, I want to do my best to stay two steps ahead. And so we, and long story short, we used this camera for, for a doctoral class, a face-to-face doctoral class on, uh, on leadership again. And, and this time I used it to talk about the concept of adaptive leadership where, you know, say like for this example, um, a natural disaster occurs at a institution. How does leadership adapt to that challenge? And so I used that 360 camera to, to visit an institution that dealt with the hurricane here on the Gulf Coast. When I visited the campus, I did a uh, I walked around campus, but I told my students, "Okay, if you look behind me, you will see the port of Gal, you know, the port of Galveston, but I, I kept the camera in front of me. That was my cue to for students to change the perspective." And so it I would say that technology is, is very challenging. It's, it's very difficult, especially on the production end. My lecture was two weeks late because of that challenge. But students were some, yeah, I did, there was some getting used to um, by viewing that lecture. And interesting enough, one student mentioned that she got motion sickness because that's how immersive that experience can be but they were very receptive and like hey you know it was kind of cool that we could you know while you were talking we could move the camera to go look at the building next to you while and, and still return back to you so that's where we're going i think especially with online education
0: i just love that creative and an example i don't know if you know this cuz i don't think I shared it with you, but my background is in organizational leadership. That's what my doctorate is in. And I would never think of that just because I would hear about these 360 and I would think, well, you know, our content is mostly just straight on. I I couldn't even envision how you might use that. And I just love how creative your mind is in exploring the possibilities. You hear that something's out there and then you've got this colleague or probably more than one colleague that you can brainstorm with of how you might bring it into your teaching. It's just wonderful.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the cool thing. This technology just isn't limited to online classes. Like I said, this this adaptive leadership lesson was done for a face-to-face doctoral class. I think with this technology, especially with the point of view action cameras and the 360 fly cameras, as they're called, you can just really be creative with how you want to deliver the information because, you know, one thing about these cameras is they're so tiny. They're so small. The 360 camera with the things that it did, believe it or not, that camera was just the size of a golf ball. Uh, And so when you have technology that's that tiny that can do so much, then, you know, that's where you can really tell yourself, okay, as an instructor, How can I use this to really, you know, lack of a better way to put it, you know, blow my students minds in some cases. And so I found that for that semester, using it for the leadership class were gave me some good opportunities. This semester I'm teaching again, I'm teaching leadership, but I I plan to visit a Hispanic serving institution that is located literally on the border. And so I want to use my GoPro camera to visit this institution to talk about um, leadership in this current climate. Where you know um, I don't want to get political, but we all know when you're talking about the border, the issues that come up. Where this institution, literally its grounds, go to the Mexican-U.S. border. And so I just want to, to know that that's you know down the road for me. And by using the GoPro camera to immerse the students in that environment while we're talking about leadership in this current age of higher education leadership.
0: Before we go on to the recommendations, you you were so generous in providing me with many links, and I don't want to go past this without hearing about this resource unless it is your recommendation, but should we talk about Salsa, Soul, and Spirit Leadership for a Multicultural Uh, Age now, or is that what you plan on recommending later on? (laughs) uh,
1: uh, we could talk about it now. It, it's a it's a really great discovery I I made as an instructor for this class, and it really shapes uh, um, how I teach leadership so much to the point where yeah, I'm using these uh, Go um, action cameras, point of view action cameras to have students learn a little bit more about multicultural leadership.
0: It sounds like a wonderful book. And all of these links will be in the show notes for people at teachinginhighered.com slash 191. And this is the point in the show where we each get to give our recommendations. And I wanted to talk a little bit about Flipgrid and officially recommend it. I've actually shared on recent episodes about my use of it. I used it this past semester with undergraduates. And most of the students in that class would have been somewhere around 20 and are some of our juniors and seniors, maybe as old as 25. And then I also used it with my doctoral students, which of course are in most cases, not all, but in most cases quite a bit older than that. And it was a delightful success in both contexts. Flipgrid, if you've not used it before, is kind of like taking all the good parts about what discussion boards were supposed to be And actually using them and getting rid of the bad parts which are we've just made them so transactional discussion boards traditional ones and you know go reply to three other people it just it doesn't bring the content that we're trying to explore in a class to life in such a way as video so with flipgrid you can set it up where you determine the length of time that you want videos to be allowed in some cases, I would go for two minutes. In some cases, I'd bump it up to two and a half. But one of the many great outcomes that I heard from my undergraduates was that Flipgrid helped them learn how to be more concise because it was one of those things. If it went over, they'd have to re-record it. And it, I didn't anticipate that. It was not one of the reasons I adopted it. I didn't anticipate it as an outcome. But I can say that what a gift it is that we can give to people just to help them be more succinct when communicating their ideas. And I teach business students, and what a wonderful talent and skill to be able to be building into our students, especially as so many of them are going out to do interviews and or they're in internships or seeking out internships. That really is a great skill to have built, even though I did not anticipate that as one of the many benefits it allows them, so I can pose a question and I can pose a question in text. I can pose a question myself on video and then they could reply to my video prompt. Or I could even post a YouTube video of someone else and then ask people to react to it using Flipgrid. And they can, can, there's lots of different ways that you can set it up. You can allow for students to be able to reply to each other's posts. If you want to, you can allow for them to give, you know, thumbs up to each other or to like videos, lots of options that you can either turn on or off depending on what your purposes are. And you can have a, a grid be public. So anybody could go view it and make it very open, or you could keep it just private within either your learning management system or within your own Website or however you're you're hosting that information or even within Flipgrid, you can require a password, lots of different options for how you want to set it up. And then so my undergraduate students totally loved it. What they reported to me was they loved how they learned how to be more concise. They learned how to be more confident in their delivery of information. In that case, I was having them go out and listen to either a podcast called Planet Money or a podcast called Marketplace. And then they would pick a few stories out of that experience and reported out to us in that truncated amount of time. And it went super well. I used it with my doctoral students probably too late. If I were to criticize myself, I would have brought it in much earlier in this eight-week class because I sort of Long story. I mean, actually, listeners know that I was working on an open textbook. So it was a class with lots of new tools and lots of learnings, which I've written a little bit about on my blog. But if I were to do it again, I certainly will bring it in sooner. But I can report they loved I only used it for two small assignments toward the end of that class. But they absolutely loved using the tool and what i loved about just both audiences is they both were equally playful you can put little stickers on on your image so you record your video and then there's a little thumbnail that shows of you and you you could actually take your own picture to be your thumbnail and there were stickers you could put on it like you could put sunglasses on or crazy hat on (laughs) it was just so fun how both groups of people just i never even mentioned the stickers but they're just using them because they're there and they're used to using those and other types of social media it was just great fun so i want to recommend flipgrid i do want to mention that i have talked about voice thread before on the class and haven't used it but i understand it is also an excellent tool as well so So there's Flipgrid, VoiceThread. I'm not officially recommending because I haven't used it, but I have heard good things. And I am now going to pass it over to Rick for your recommendation.
1: Um, The one thing I would just recommend is, you know, I'm not going to do any product endorsement with regards to my ideas of point of view action cameras. But I would recommend if you are going down this um, path to have it as part of your instruction, to really educate yourself on the capabilities of these cameras and, you know, to find out what they can and cannot do because you don't want this to be a frustrating exercise. So there's a lot of technology websites out there, and that's what I use, and and there are some big names out there. And I'm finding out also institutions are, are finding out that, you know, they're very cheap. And, and they're having them as part of their resources for faculty. Our College of Education. Actually, I just found this out. They just recently purchased like eight GoPros that I'm going to attach myself to this upcoming semester. I, I briefly mentioned the "Wanna Board" this text. Salsa, so in spirit. It's leadership for multicultural age. It's a it's a book that I'm including with other resources. In my leadership class, leadership is the class that we focus a lot on for this podcast. But I found that this book is very interesting in that it speaks to leadership, but it carries across different areas, especially in higher education, especially in this day and age where it seems like leadership nowadays is all about winning. And when you read this book, hopefully the message is leadership can include winning, but what does winning mean? with regards to community, with helping others and and whatnot. And so I recommend this book, not just for leadership, but understanding how teaching in in a way is, is creating leaders for our communities. So I'll stop there.
0: Well, Rick, thank you so much for coming on today's episode. And I also want to thank Stacey Jacob, who you went to school with, for recommending yes. you. You lived up to even more than what she promised and what a delight it's been to learn from you today and, and also to be inspired by you to just be more curious and experimental in our teaching.
1: Well, I appreciate it. it this was fun. So uh, thank you for the invite and, and thanks to my colleague, Stacey, for giving me the connection to you and your podcast.
0: Rick Montalongo, thank you so much for coming on today's episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. If you have not been listening for very long and want to get all of the links about the GoPro and the roller coaster database and Salsa Soul and Spirit Leadership for a Multicultural Age, you could go to teachinginhighered.com slash one ninety one. But you could instead just kind of kick back on the couch and wait for the weekly update to come in from Teaching in Higher Ed, which will have a blog post written about teaching or productivity by me and also will include the show notes from the most recent episode. You can subscribe at teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe. Thanks so much to Stacy for your ongoing recommendations to the show and especially to introducing me to Rick. See you all next time.